Welcome to Reciprocity Podcast, where we discuss the backstories and strategies of photojournalists, sports photographers, documentary filmmakers, and photo editors. Now, here's your host, Brett Carlson. So on today's episode, we have the person that Octavio teased uh, two weeks ago, and that is Jared Soares. Uh, Jared is a freelancer based in Washington, D.C., he used to work at the Roanoke Times in Virginia. Roanoke's a few hours southwest, kind of in the hills of southern Virginia. So it moved from like a rural market up to a bigger city. Uh, he's been freelancing there for several years now, doing all kinds of amazing work. I mean, AARP, the New York Times, uh, even for sports brands, like I think Puma and Adidas, just all kinds of amazing work. So without further ado, as always, Jared, man, how, is, um, how are things going? How are, how's life been the last few weeks? Uh, I mean, like all things considered, like things have been, um, okay. Like <laughs> that sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I never know how to like give like kind of like a stock answer. <laughs> Usually like I would say like, oh yeah, not bad. But like, you know, there's, there's a lot going on like in the world. I'm just trying to be mindful and like educate myself and yeah, just try to pitch in where I can. I feel like 2020 might finally be the end of everyone just saying I'm doing fine because I think we all know we're lying. So we all actually open up and give full answers. I feel like I've like responded to that question pretty honestly to everyone over the last few months. And it's been, I guess maybe that's a good takeaway out of 2020 is that we can all have a bit more vulnerability going forward. Yeah, totally. Like that, that would be, I think that would be fine on my end. <laughs> like yeah. I think that's, no, I, I totally agree. I think it'd be great. So speaking of the last few weeks, I, I want to go through your career. But before we go any further, I want to ask about how you came to start doing some mentoring. And you just posted this a few days ago on Instagram. I think it's an awesome idea. Part of the reason I started the podcast and I do the YouTube videos is to kind of democratize knowledge and share stuff. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that didn't get the same education that I got and other people got at photo schools. And so I've been trying to share that information, which is why people like you are on the show right now but you have taken a really direct route of offering some mentoring sessions how'd you come to that conclusion and like what's what are you kind of doing with that so i would say like all the credit and inspiration comes from um carmen chan she's another um photographer that is repped by um the agent that we have red eye reps in los angeles she had posted uh something on her instagram about how she was offering you know one hour mentorships and yeah i've been kind of kicking around the idea of like how can i you know use my experience in a way to like help people who you know don't have access and especially now any type of like photo gatherings probably not happening in person so you know what was the be what's the best way that like i can kind of be of be of service and use my knowledge and you know hand it out to people similar aspect for me i didn't have anyone to go off of i mean i saw people teaching and sharing at workshops and i thought it'd be a great idea to kind of take these kind of conversations and give them to people i would love to mentor people like you are doing i've mentored some people behind the scenes like kind of just meeting them at workshops and kind of following up with them were you mentored earlier in your career like did you benefit from this from other people what are you kind of going forward with this i just love to hear how you're teaching and uh sharing information because i'm really excited about that so without getting kind of too in like the weeds of like my background i did not go to a photography school. Um, my parents and nobody in my family is in the media like industry and like, you know, working for a newspaper or magazine was like a foreign concept. So like, I don't have any of those reference points, but you know, I was like fortunate 
to be able to like kind of shoulder tap people along the way. And those people were like, you know, very generous. So I went to the University of Kansas and there's like a really great um, newspaper in the city of Lawrence. You know, it's these guys who, you know, when I encountered them, they were had been at the paper for like 20 years and they had photographed kind of everything and knew the town like from top to bottom. So they had all this like institutional knowledge of like the place and like how to approach certain things through that and people just being generous like along the way. I don't know that I had I had like a dedicated mentor. It's just been, you know, people who've come into my orbit who've been like very generous. Also friends and colleagues too have kind of served that role as well. Yeah, I, th- I think you can get in and out of these lanes in this industry. And if you get into one of these lanes where people are around you that are like the givers, man, you can just learn so much no matter what your background or what your ability level is. And I think it's like I've always gotten myself into those situations and kind of helped out people that are positive and like helpful and like eager to learn. So I know like one kid I met when I was volunteering and he was just like actually engaging and listening and not like on his phone or doing something else. And like that simple gesture of like just stopping for two minutes and like listening to the advice that me and the other volunteers that were helping them were like giving. It led to me like trying to help him at every corner now for like a year or two. It's so exciting to hear that you had people from a newspaper because were you going to school for photojournalism or were you just there for a different degree? Oh, no. Like I was I was majoring in English. Oh, okay. so, yeah. Like, um, yeah, it was like nothing like everything that I was doing was like not related. But, you know, later, you know, as things have started kind of like moving, like there are some things that I return to, like, you know, when I was like studying like literature that kind of are tangential or like run parallel to like what I'm doing. But like, you know, in kind of like the moment, like I did not understand like why I was still like learning how to critically analyze literature. But then like I would go off to a KU basketball game and I'm trying to figure out like how to set a relay from the strobes to a remote camera making sure I'm on the right channel. And like, (laughs) I just, I like my brain just like did not know kind of like what to do with like all that information. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is funny how these things are so, I don't know. I, I, I think so many people come from so many different backgrounds. I come from a very technical background. I love all the tech side. And I like really struggle with like the English and, you know, more the historical reference and history of photo and all that stuff. I kind of like I kind of lack that side of photography. And I meet a ton of friends and a ton of people who are on the opposite spectrum where they're like, oh, I was like a writing major, an English major, economics major. And then I like had to figure out all this tech and it was like a huge challenge. And I'm like, it's so funny how we can all come from these diverse backgrounds of education and like still come out and make amazing work. And like they both they both feed into like powerful strengths, you know, so there's things that your skill set it can help so much with and there's stuff that my skill set can help so much with it's so cool and it's it's fun having people to bounce things also off of and learn yeah 100 percent. so to kind of back it up towards school and stuff so you you leave university of kansas and then you end up in roanoke as an intern um and then you end up staying there for a few years what was that experience like and what were some of the things you were doing back then back in college or like back, uh, like, like how how i got to roanoke or? yeah yeah like kind of like the transition from school to then the, the roanoke times and then um you know the few years you spent there one of the mentors that i had at the paper in in lawrence kansas thad allender his name might be familiar he is the guy who invented graph paper press 
It was yeah. like a notable like WordPress like theme CMS. So I got the chance to work with Thad and Thad was one of those people that like really pushed my photography and like was very generous. And one of his like um, pieces of advice was to get out of Kansas and like go go see like a different you know part of the country. And yeah, you know, at the time you could still get like an internship or two for three months at like small to like regional size papers. And like, that was a good way of kind of getting to know a place and like building up your portfolio and like, you know, trying to, um, yeah, just trying to get better. There was a year where I didn't get an internship and I didn't understand why I, I do, I do now. So like the next year for the internship cycles, like I worked really hard and then like I identified three newspapers that I thought were in like a very interesting part of the country and like had a photo staff that was like, you know, really outstanding. And Roanoke was one of those places. And I, before the, the deadline of the internship, I was sending the photo editor postcards and like, you know, clips like through the mail. So that way, like, you know, once my like application arrived, they would have like kind of a base knowledge of like, you know, who I am and like what I'm about. That's so smart. <laughs> I did none of those things. Yeah. That is so smart. Yeah. So like my previous, like, you know, the year before, like I didn't, I thought you just like sent your, I think at that time, like we were still like, like using like DVDs, like you just like <laughs> sent like your DVD in the mail. Yeah. And then like, you know, lo and behold, like somebody from the Grand Forks Herald in North Dakota calls you back and like, you know, that's how you get it. Like I had no understanding of um, how you know any of that stuff worked. I feel like when I was in college, I kind of like I lost track of the fact that these are humans on the other end of all this, you know, and that those little extra things probably would have went a long way. And then now later in my career, I'm like, oh, yeah, if you like really doctor this thing up to look super nice when you send it out or like you said, follow up with some maybe a mailer here or there or ahead of time, it probably goes a pretty long way. So it's interesting to hear that you had success with that even back then when I I totally was just applying, like you said, with like a CD and a letter. Yeah, that's because I, I think I feel like there was like somebody who came in to speak to like the journalism school who was uh, yeah like a AP photographer and they said like you know this is this is how we're seeing portfolios you know you put your you put all your photos like on the CD and then like you write a letter and then like you mail it and, like, you cross your fingers and I was kind of just like oh okay like this guy says like that's how you do it that's how you do it and then later uh, I would go I would end up going to um, Geek Fest, you know, the a photo a day, like workshop celebration of photography. And I met all these photographers. Some of them were still in newspapers. Some of them were freelancing and working with magazines. And like, yeah, I was like kind of telling them my frustration about how, you know, how I don't go to a photo school. So I don't have like those connections. And like, I don't, I don't have any of these things. And they're like, oh, well, you have to make it personal. And like, you have to like, you know, reach out and you have to introduce yourself. And, you know, the same way that you would go about working on like a photography project, like a daily assignment, like you wouldn't just go in, you know, with your camera and start like making pictures, like you would go in, you would have a conversation. So there's a way to apply that to like, you know, reaching out to these places that you want to work with. 
No, it totally makes sense. It's uh, I'm very good at building relationships now at this age, you know, eight, 10 years into this career, but definitely younger. It was super hard to understand like the subtleties of all that. And like you said, if you're not at a big photo school man, those connections are are key starting out, how did you I mean, Geek Fest is obviously one way, but like when you were coming out of a school in the middle of Kansas, uh, what were you kind of doing to try to find and build those networks? Photo a day was huge. Um, for me, that was like a big reference for like how other photographers were working, you know, with their various newspapers. Like I like the the whole idea of like a newspaper having a photo column and like just a designated place for like, you know, photography. Like that was something that like I did not know about. Then, you know, this is like pre pre social media. So like a photo a day, like the listener was like how I was like engaging with like that community and then like you know you meet like call they're like colleagues and friends that like i met off that listserv i'm still friends with to this day and like you know they're still in the industry and like we uh you know it's the same thing like we still have the conversations about like photography so yeah geek fe- like a photo a day was huge I'm trying to think like what else this is gonna date me but like <laughs> borders bookshop Oh, yeah. It was huge. I would just go. There was like one that was like near where I was living in Lawrence, Kansas. And I would just go there and just like look at the photography books for free. I would look at um, that's how I got introduced to the fader. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And like kind of like all these other, you know, standout design and photography publications. And I would just kind of like look at who was making making the work. And then like, I would see if they had a website. Yeah, that's kind of how that's like what I was doing. When I got to Roanoke, it was like kind of the blog era, connecting with people like over like Blogspot, or if you wanted to get real technical, like you built a WordPress blog. Yeah. So that was like another way of kind of like extending like, you know, the community, you know, maybe taking it out of photojournalism, but into like either fine art or different types of photography and just kind of like expanding like my viewpoint that was one of my questions later and we'll hit it now though your work does not look like someone who works at a newspaper right which is by design obviously i assume it's it's like a very conscious i mean it looks like art which is the style i obviously like i am drawn to work that looks like yours and a few other people that i look up to and how do you go from like newspaper photography where i know you just don't have the time to set up lights you don't have the time to shoot on these formats um that i know i can tell from the photos that you're shooting on different formats and stuff how did you evolve your work obviously you're looking at other work but how do you evolve that over time to go from like newspaper style up to something different and what were some of the thoughts you were having along that way that's a really good question so i guess we'll start with like amazing thing about working at a newspaper and specifically the roanoke times during that era is that the entire staff was like very supportive about like experimenting with like different approaches and like making something that's not a direct photo like don't make the expected photo like you know turn around or like think of another way to like solve the problem so that was like a concept that was kind of introduced to me pretty early people like josh Meltzer, sam dean uh kyle green josh Meltzer was episode one of this podcast by the way if you didn't know that oh amazing he's the very Um, first interview that's cool i forgot that you guys obviously would work together yeah josh is the best so yeah it was like being around that whole staff and like getting introduced to like different types of approaches and because at this time everybody 
Oh, sorry to oh, interrupt. You guys are, I mean, this is, the world is evolving around you too. I mean, you're going from not, I mean, it wouldn't have been film, but you know, we're in early digital to now you're adding audio and video. So, so the Roanoke Times was embracing that at the time. So it's good to hear that they were also embracing different visual approaches when it came to stills at the same time, it sounds like, right? Yeah, it was like, it was a really interesting time to be there because um, another thing that will date me, um, sound slides. Uh, had just kind of like hit Seth Gittner, who who is a like noted RIT grad, and I think he's at Syracuse now. Like, is, yeah, was one of the like individuals that kind of like pioneered like mixing audio and like photography. So yeah, it was like just a really interesting time and a really supportive um, group of people. And, you know, within that, and, you know, I'm also at this time, like looking at, you know, the Americans by Robert Frank, I'm looking at, you know, William Eggleston, I'm looking at like photographers that like are, it's not documentary, it's not photojournalism, but it's still like dealing with like reality. Yeah. Yeah, those kind of like pushed me to think about like, oh, that there's photography beyond, you know, what, you know, we're doing at the newspaper, like there's just a bigger pool. What's that all about? Yeah, I kind of came in the opposite way to photojournalism. I was actually like, I went through a bunch of colleges. It's a long story. But basically, when I got to RIT, which I transferred into, um, I was a fine art major. And I thought for sure I was going to do fine art. I was going to do galleries. And a professor basically said same thing to what exactly what you were just saying that, you know, there's these photographers that work in real life. That's not really photojournalism. And I remember him famously saying he's like, who's your favorite photographer? And I was like, Gregory Crudson and Nan Golden at the time. And uh, and he's like, well, Nan Golden's a photojournalist. And I was like, no, no, she's a fine art photographer. He's like, tell me why. And I couldn't defend it. And he was just like, photojournalism doesn't have to look like photojournalism, you know? And I was like, wow. <laughs> so I went and I switched majors that, that like the next day. So it's interesting to hear you kind of did a similar string of logic. Um, and I think a lot of people lose touch with that sort of stuff, you know, that that there's so many more shades of all of this, I guess, is the best way that I kind of see it. It sounds like you do, too. Yeah. And I think also at that time in APAT, like during APAT, there was a group of like photographers in Florida. They would share like either outtakes or I'm pretty sure their outtakes of like their daily assignment work. And I was just like, whoa, like this is, you know, this is like mind blowing, like the way that they were using color and light and like, but still making an image that like suggested some sort of like human emotion. And I was just like, this is like incredible. And it was like this mix of, okay, is it art? Is it documentary? Like, and I was like, okay, like how, how can I do that? Like, how can I like bring, you know, whatever, you know, my background and like my voice and like, how can, how do I get close to that? So it was a pretty conscious process of yours then is what you're saying. Yeah. And like, I I think the other thing too, about like working at a newspaper is you figure out the types of assignments that you enjoy and the types of assignments that like you maybe wish um, didn't come across your desk. And (laughs) yeah. And that's like the great thing about newspapers is that like you get four or five assignments a day and you just kind of have to like figure it out. You know, you can go from like photographing a press conference to some type of business story where it requires a portrait. And then like at night, you're photographing a basketball game. Totally. (laughs) I think I think a lot of people that aren't in our industry and even people that are that like somehow are 
God blessed into some kind of job where they don't have to do that. Don't realize like the literal proximity of the variety of things you'll do at a newspaper. Uh, it's kind of right. wild when you actually explain it to somebody. They're like, oh, I'm going to go to this uh, you know, school meeting at noon. I got a business portrait at two. And then about 430, I got a soccer game. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then if a crime happens after that, I'm going to run to that. That always happened to me in Michigan. <laughs> it was like, oh, someone, yeah. something happens. Now, soccer game, forget you. We're going to this uh, fire or whatever. And I would say like one of like my biggest like regrets is that like I did not think about like photographing in like a consistent voice or like approach. If I had like five assignments that day, I'm probably taking like four or five different approaches for like those assignments just because like I'm either experimenting or like I think part of it's like I was so young so I was like oh okay like I'll use like you know three lights for this portrait or like I will only use natural light or I'm going to use like a uh, 400 millimeter for this you're not even thinking making like a consistent like body of work and that's something that like I try to convey to like younger photographers that are kind of going the newspaper route is that think about your time there as like a way to build this like big patchwork quilt of like moments and scenes like of this like place that you're unfamiliar with that's genius yeah that's super smart i've never heard anybody say something like that um and i think that's i would 100 percent second that approach i think i think it's fun to do the experimentation and i think it's a great time to do it because right now well at least you know i'm almost 10 years into the career it's pretty hard to experiment because you kind of have an expected delivery of some level you know i can't full-on try something crazy where i know when i was back at a paper um or an intern i could have literally pretty much done whatever i wanted you know <laughs> they probably right. they weren't expecting too much but man going forward those first few years would have probably been a little faster if i had the conscious approach of like hey okay you got to go do what you're going to do but remember to make one that's for you every time at every assignment that probably would have sped things along quite a bit oh totally yeah i like often like wonder like if like i spent too too much time you know in roanoke but then it's also like you know like outside of photography you have a life and so like <laughs> i met a lot of like my best friends now and you know of course my wife you know we rescued a dog there so like you know some like other stuff kind of going on you know, that probably like informed my photography. And I like, also like we were just having like a good time um, working at the newspaper too. Yeah, I think that sounds like one of those places that was a pretty much a joy to live in. I got a friend who lives right outside of Roanoke now and he's just always talking about how great it is there. So it's not a not a bad place to sit for an extra year from what I've heard. Um, It is it, it is now. Yeah, like, it is now like it did not it did not used to look like that. Like oh. <laughs> I, I was there. I want to say like last summer and, you know, I, you know, frequently visit cause like we have, we still have like friends that live there and yeah, I was like commenting. I was just like, where did all the young people come from? Like, <laughs> like, why is there like a pokey place? Like why, like, why is there, like, why, like all these things that like I wanted, like how come, <laughs> you know, I move and like they all show up. <laughs> Yeah. How come there's places to eat now? This sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that that makes sense, too. Um, so when you uh, you're at the Roanoke Times and then you transition into working independently, um, but you didn't you didn't move to another city just yet. What were some of the things you were doing as you transitioned out of the paper and into that independent life? Well, so I like to say that I had a cup of coffee in Paris, France. I wanted to move away from like daily photography 
And I wanted to also figure out like how photographs were sold and marketed and what that whole process, you know, was like. So I I worked as an assistant in the office at seven, the photo agency for about uh, six months, just kind of like learning how an archive works, like what you put in like the subject of an email, if you're proposing a story to a magazine, there's kind of like all these like small, like business details that like, you know, I had no, I had no frame of reference for. Yeah. Are you sure you weren't a business major? Because that is smart, too. <laughs> You're like pulling all these uh, top secret moves that are great. Yeah, uh, I, I had gone to New York. Basically, I like anybody who would meet with me, you know, took the meeting and like was just trying to get, you know, as much advice as possible. And like Marcel Saba at Redux was like, you know, stressing like wonderful that like you're doing you know, these projects, but how are you going to pay to like live? I, I think, you know, I was like young, I like didn't really understand the question. You know, but he, he kind of gave me some advice, things to think about, you know, photographing commercial work, corporate work, weddings, and, you know, keeping that work separate in order to grow, you know, what you're doing with like documentary work and like editorial. And I think I still, you know, when you're in a newspaper, like you're kind of like walled off from like the business and you really do need some type of like crash course that's like more than just like a weekend with like business um in my opinion and what's difficult is like i feel that like once there's like a technique or like a approach to like business and like a year or two later it's like changes to something else that was kind of another thing i learned at like you know the agency is like spotting trends and like how do you how do you use those trends and like to like leverage like new revenue streams <laughs> yeah I, re I realize that like sounds like kind of like some like weirdo like tech blog like type thing but like it was yeah it was just like a thing where i was like okay like how do i use this information to like put myself in a way where i can like you know keep the lights on keep food on the table and then also like continue doing what i want to do yeah and i think that's so important i to back up to what you said about the newspaper industry i feel like that's a big thing that if you're working in a newspaper right now and listening to this or you're looking at going to newspapers you definitely won't probably get as much of the business side of things other than maybe like you know the things are bad <laughs> um, but you're never really not going to understand like why and how the business pays its bills it seems or you don't get as much of it but i love that you had that the wherewithal to identify all that and and go and approach things and learn an entirely new skill set in my opinion by going and working at that agency but i i think i think this business side of stuff is so important i mean i think there's you meet a lot of people who are like really talented and then you ask them like how are you going to pay your bills or like what kind of work are you going to do to make sure that you know you can make your car payment or you know or upkeep your gear buy new gear or new car or whatever and it's like pretty hard for people to answer what were some of the takeaways or what were some of the most important takeaways that you'd have after that time in Paris or or maybe even just now I mean but just like some like quick business hit things that maybe people can take away that are younger that could learn from it so there, there's like two there's two kind of like big ones. One is like kind of strange. It has to do with like the subject line of an email. One of the things when you're working independently is that like pre-COVID, you would do an in-person meeting and it was like, how do you like, what do you put in the subject line, you know, of that email to get like a meeting? I had like no idea like how to do that because like I never had to do that. And so that was one of the things that I learned you know, at seven is like, how do it was basically just like how to interact with like a client over email. Like that was like a big one. 
And it was like, always use good grammar. Make sure your subject line is like short and to the point. And like, always have something that is like, either like a proposal, an idea, like some type of like action, like in the email. Like it just can't be an email that's like, hey, what's up? New work on my site. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's like not... That would be the definition of like not a good not a good email to send. Yeah, I think I always whenever I to add in my two cents, whenever I talk to young people about how to or even friends about how to like contact an editor or contact a client, I always tell them like make their life easier and provide something of value. So for me, that might be if there's a recent story that is developing, maybe there's an angle or something geographically close to what I'm doing that I can help with. Or if it's new work, maybe it's also like, hey, I got this other idea for something. Try to give them a door to go through, I guess, is the way I look at it. You know, sounds like that's what they were saying, too. Yeah, 100%. Like those are, yeah. The other the other aspect that was like very helpful was like I got to know and spend time with like the archive of Seven. And I didn't know what an archive was. <laughs> like when I, when I was at the newspaper, it wasn't like something I was like kind of too concerned about. But being able to like spend time and like understanding like the need for a system to like, okay, like I need to find something that was photographed in, you know, insert what city about this and being able to like search and like recall it and like the files ready. And then you can just send it to the client being able to get like kind of that real time experience of like setting up an archive, working with it was like pretty yeah, it's pretty useful. And like, it's still like some of that, like file management stuff I still use today. Yeah, I think that's another thing that I have no idea how much of that people get into. But man, is that like one of the most important things? I mean, doing your metadata and stuff up front and digital asset management, so that years from now, you can go find that one picture is, man, it saves you so much time. And it's definitely made makes you money too if it's something you know of value especially if you're getting into stories with anybody remotely famous or of any kind of uh of note you know whether that be athletes or politicians or business people or whatever you always get those secondary licensings and stuff yeah and that's something that like i really stress to like younger and emerging photographers is that like you know always always keep your copyright and like because you know six months to a year five years down the road like there's probably opportunity to like you know resell that work and like you know something that like you may have photographed for like a 500 dollar assignment rate like you might be getting a bigger check because like that's the only portrait like of that individual and like you know, there's value to that. Yeah, especially some of the stuff that you do in D.C. with these politicians has got to be the access is the hardest part. So when you finally do get that access and you make a beautiful photograph or a storytelling photograph, I shouldn't just say beautiful in the sense that like you're glamorizing them. But when you make one of those photographs, geez, things could change so much six months to a year, 10 years later, um, which we see time and time again with anybody of, like I said, of fame, but politicians, especially, you know, someone could become president, someone could you know, get indicted on something, someone could change jobs, someone could pass away. Um, all those things, those all those times have value to publications again. Totally. And that was, again, that was like something that like I had learned like at the agency that like, I, I don't know that like where else I would have learned that. Um, or maybe like I would have gotten there like, you know, much slower. But 
you know, it was kind of drilled into me like at a time where like I needed to hear it. And so like, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I think sometimes it's hard to like, look at those opportunities, um, like moving to Paris for six months, um, and say that like, well, is this, what's this doing for me now? When in hindsight, that is probably paid out tenfold what it has, you know, versus those six months. Have you talked to any of the younger or emerging photographers about like maybe taking a risky or maybe more of a long-term payoff? something, whether that be an internship or a mentorship, or I don't know what it would be and kind of how you explain that value to people. When I've had the opportunity to like talk through situations like that with like younger photographers, like I don't really give them like, you know, like do this or do that. I'm more like, okay, think about like what your goal is, you know, like right now. And like, think about like how, you know, whatever decision you make, you know, can influence like getting you closer to that goal. Like, I think probably on paper, it seemed strange that like, I would go from a staff job, you know, to working as an assistant, where like, you know, I'm not like doing any type of photography, like, I'm essentially just like, you know, firing up like a computer and like in FTP, and like moving like files around. And then like, at that time, Twitter was starting to take off. And like, I understood Twitter. So I was like pre writing tweets and like, you know, for the agency. So, but it's like one of those things where like, you know, like you're saying, it's like the opportunity that I had and like what I was able to get, like I wouldn't have been able to get anywhere else. Yeah. In that format. So like, I always, that's how I kind of walk through like those types of decisions is that like, you know, does doing this thing put you closer to what you want to do right now? Like, how is it serving you? Like, how is it like getting you closer to the work that you want to do? Yeah. And I think that's really important. I mean, I think backing up from what you're doing right now and looking forward a year, six months, five years can really help make a lot of decisions pretty easy. I knew for me, I was doing a lot of newspaper assignments. Like that's all I was getting was just newspaper daily assignments, mostly features or spot news or whatever. And this was as a freelancer. Um, and it was just like, man, this is not paying the bills pretty much, you know, and it wasn't very consistent. So I made the pretty conscious decision. I'm like, well, a year from now, I want to do more magazine assignments. And so I started looking at work and like transferring the style of work so I could go into those meetings and actually like show work that didn't look like newspaper work. It's cool to hear you talk about all of these things and how you don't have a, a fixed structure for anybody. Like, I think that's super important, too, because I think man, it doesn't matter how many people you meet, they're going to have a different pathway to success, um, whatever that and success will be different, too. Totally. Yeah. So to get to your work, it was kind of funny. Uh, I continually joke that this podcast was not meant to be a sports photography podcast, and it's just turning into one. <laughs> And so I was like, man, well, Jared's on next week. Jared's not a sports photographer. And in my head, you're not. And I know you do a lot of work for sports. But then in your own like bio the other day, you were like, yeah, I do a lot of work focusing on sports. And I was like, son of a bitch, I can't win. <laughs> I was like, I'm never going to have a not sports person on here. But I really want to talk about kind of some of the projects that you've done and specifically about that aspect, because I think it's so interesting because I, in my head, like 100% before I read that, did not think of like, oh, Jared will never talk about sports in his own bio or whatever and then sure enough there you go can you talk yeah. a little bit about <laughs> your style currently and maybe what are some of those influences and how you use that to tell a, just a giant variety of stories totally i guess I'll, I'll, so I'll start with like the sports part like i when i'm doing like longer term projects i 
I like to find an entry point that like I'm familiar with or that I participated in or that like I'm a community like member already. So, and a lot of that is sports. Like I grew up playing soccer. I grew up playing basketball, hip hop. I've been listening to since like, gosh, I, I have no idea. Like, I feel like it's <laughs> just been just a part of like, you know, my life forever. And skateboarding is like another thing that I grew up with. So those like cultures and like sports are things that like I have like, I would say like a pretty good like foundational knowledge in and like I'm still actively participating in like all of those. So what I like to do is take one of those um, aspects and use it as an entry point to talk about something else. So for example, there's a project that I did about a summer basketball league in DC called the Goodman League. It's this, um, it's been going on, it's a summer league that's been going on for about like 40 years. Guys that played, you know, in the NBA and like that play overseas and high school kids all, you know, kind of come and like congregate and play at this league from like May until September. The DC area is like a hotbed for basketball. The place where the league takes place is in a section of DC called Anacostia and even more specific called Berry Farms. And Berry Farms has been like a site for like gentrification and like potential for people to be displaced. So I was interested in um, looking at like the importance of like what this league does, you know, for the community and finding ways to like make images that like celebrate, you know, that time of year and like the people that show up and like everything that touches the league. I, I love the the simple... <laughs> I mean, it's not simple, but the simple logic of you found a way to connect with a group of people when you go to photograph them. And so just sharing interest is a way to build those connections and build that network, so to speak. Right. I mean, how do you think that affects the pictures you're making as you go forward into a project? So like, that's kind of the start. Like, it's easy for me to like talk about basketball with like another person who's interested in basketball but we're not going to talk about basketball all the time like we're going to hit on like other subjects and like what else is going into their lives and you know vice versa so it just um it opens the door for like conversation and like it open it gives me an opportunity to to listen and to become better you know informed and then that allows me to make images that I feel like are much stronger and that like go beneath like the surface. To speak to one of the other topics you talked about, a project of yours that was probably something you were working on or getting notoriety for when I found out about you was your small town hip hop project. Yeah. This, for those listening, obviously there's not video with this. If you go to Jared's website, it's on there. But this was very different or at least how I remember it back then it being very different the picture that stands out to me is like the guy in the plywood recording booth or whatever I I assume he's recording in the booth and I I just love that I love like how that is so different than what we think of hip-hop culture at least you know that's on tv and in music videos and movies and stuff like that you know what I mean like that's a handmade closet or whatever that somebody modified to turn into a hip-hop studio can you talk about this project and the start of it and where it progressed and how it helped you? So I would say that that was my like first like real like project where it was an idea that I had and 
I, you know, kind of like followed through and like, I've, you know, kept photographing kind of on, on and off. Um, like, I don't know, like when there will be kind of an end to it. Like, I just kind of keep revisiting people that like, I'm still in touch with to like, see like what they're doing. And like, some of them have become close friends, but the, the initial starting point for like wanting to do that project is again, another, another mentor that I had at the paper in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, His name's uh, Mike Yoder. And, you know, Mike always talked about uh, how, you know, you should have like some sort of like personal project going like all the time. That's just what you're thinking about is like this. And like, ultimately like, you know, your career will be judged on like, you know, this project. And it was like something like I had kind of never heard of. And like, yeah, I think I like tried to do something in like college and like, you know, it felt forced. But when I got to Roanoke and I, you know, it was like getting the chance to like be in the community and like just meeting different people. That's kind of when it started. And I was like, oh, hip hop in Roanoke like what does that look like and that's kind of the the rabbit hole that I went down for oh gosh um I don't know 10 years 10 plus years <laughs> yeah with like with like some breaks in between like I didn't like I, it's not me photographing you know every day you know for that long it's like spurts yeah I think uh I've I've worked on a few personal projects some more successful than others but it just kind of feels like you sort of get into a rhythm and you kind of find when it's right to go work and when it's kind of good to back off maybe or go work on other stuff to pay the bills or I don't know it depends on what's going on one big reason I want to talk about this project is uh for two reasons that are the same now um when young people are coming into this career I think they kind of look up to people that are in more of a position like you or I or similar aged photojournalists that are kind of getting uh, national assignments or sometimes some travel assignments or stuff like that. And they think like, oh, that's the thing I have to do to get those jobs. So I'm going to go like spend money or go somewhere. I have to go somewhere extravagant. And that's not what you did here. I mean, this was literally in your backyard. And that's kind of the point of all of it is that it's it's not the the thing that's far away. And I think the the second reason being that I think this is going to apply to a lot of us now going forward for a little bit with COVID, like we're not going to get those assignments as often, if at all, for a little bit. And I think all of us need to refocus on finding stories that are close to home. Can you talk to that, the, the reward of doing work that's close to home and also just kind of some of the logic and some of the things you do while approaching a project like this? So for me, it's all about like communication and being able to have a dialogue with like the people that I'm photographing. So English is like my only language. So that kind of like rules out like working in any type of like any any other country. So and I also need to be kind of familiar with like what's going what's going on. And also, like, my newspaper background of, like, community journalism, like, local storytelling, that's another thing that's kind of informed, like, the work that I do now. And also, like, when I had started that project, I wanted to be able to, you know, get off work at the paper and then, like, immediately go, you know, to, you know, to visit, like, you know, one of these, you know, rappers and their family and just see and just kind of like hang out. And fortunately, like a lot of people were like very generous and like kind enough to like let me do that. And also like I did not have to spend any money on travel. I didn't have to spend money like finding like a producer or like 
you know, like that my costs were like, just not, you know, I'm paying to like live in like the city. Like I'm not paying anything to like, you know, do the work. Yeah. Like I'm just basically just like doing everything in my backyard. And also another piece of advice, I don't know where it came from, um, but it's always like stuck with me. It's like, you know, if you're not able to make a photograph in your backyard, you know, what makes you think you can make a photograph in somebody else's. I, I don't know where that's from either, but I know uh, my professor said it to me a lot. <laughs> Back yeah. In college, I got that hammered in my, I was like, oh, I got to go to this town or that town. And they're like, dude, just do something like right here. Like if you can't do it here, you're not going to be able to do it there. It was, um, was definitely hammered home to me. Uh, and I agree with the logic. Now that I'm older, I totally agree that if, if you can't, if you can't find a way to tell a story or find a story and do all those things a few miles from home, like you're not going to all of a sudden have some superpower when you drop into another town. You're just putting yourself at a disadvantage. Um, last week, we talked about a lot about community journalism and how knowing a community, whether that be the sport of football or, you know, the local businesses or whatever, but like knowing the community in which you're photographing really set you up for success, which sounds like that's obviously what you leveraged in this situation. Yeah. And like just being able to kind of like keep returning and keep visiting and letting people know like what I was like up to, like, you know, showing them like showing them what the photos look like and, you know, keeping them posted. And then, you know, there are some opportunities to have like some gallery shows. And whenever I would have like a gallery show, like I would you know, have some of like the guys perform, you know, to create kind of like opportunity, you know, for them to like sell music and like get their, you know, kind of art into a different world. And, you know, cause I, I feel like, you know, one of the things about like that work that's like missing is that like, you know, you see, you know, these guys and their families in the images, but like, you don't really hear the music. And so being able to see them perform just adds this like other like layer of it. And then especially like in a live setting. So anytime that like I was able to do that, like I took advantage of it. That's smart. I mean, all everything you said is smart. I'm, <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like that was the one smart thing. Sorry. Uh, everything you said has been genius. Um, I'm learning a lot. I have a piece of paper here just taking notes. Uh, <laughs> so to speak about smart things, um, so one of the things that's really interesting about your work is that it has transcended the kind of art journalism, whatever we want to call that style of work, and is now being used by brands. Uh, like looking at your website, uh, and as I mentioned before, we got into the podcast. I mean, you know, Adobe, Airbnb, uh, you know, Adidas, Jordan. These are huge brands, and if I had to guess, it looks like you're shooting medium format or large format with um, a style. I guess is the way to say it. It's it doesn't. It's not polished. It's it's not it's not ad work as most people would probably think of it in their head. What how how did you cross that border, man? And can you let me follow you into that border, <laughs> you know, past that border of of getting into that style of work? I mean, it's awesome. It's awesome to see this style of work working with these brands. How did how did you make that transition? And what were some of the tips you'd give to others or uh, whatever, you know, along that path? So the the answer that like in conclusion that like I've like come to is uh, personal work and photographing the the individual, the community, the subject in a way that is unique to you. So if you look at like some of the basketball work, if you look at the work that I'm doing, you know, with this like soccer team in Mexico City, like 
there's a consistent approach. There's like a quality of light. There's all these things. And like, I'm interested in specific types of interactions. All that to say is that like these projects, like the things that like I, you know, invest so much like time and energy and money into, you know, because I want to, because like, I want to like, I feel like these you know groups that I'm photographing are important and like, they need to be like, everybody needs to know about them. But also these are, this is the work that gets referenced when a producer emails me and asks like, if I'm interested in like a particular job and it's like always personal work that shows up in the deck or the PDF. And so I don't exactly know where people are finding me. I mean, I'm like, try to be pretty targeted in terms of like where I'm sending my work and who I'm sending it to. But ultimately, like you have to have the work in order to like kind of get it out there. So shorter answer, like do personal work and do it, you know, the way that you want to do it. And also just be thought, be thoughtful about like why you're doing it and who the work's for. Yeah. To back up, uh, I love what you said about you got to have the work to share the work or show the work, because I think that gets a little bit lost when we talk about marketing and social media and whatever is that like the work has to be there first like it doesn't matter how good you are engaging and emailing and sure in specific examples someone will get a little bit further ahead but i feel like having the work that you want to show is the first step and a really important step i know you're making this personal work for the right reasons obviously but what what when you like wrap it up to send it to someone who might be more on the more commercial side are you shifting any of the projects are you maybe tailoring it or um you know what I mean? Like maybe there's a different edit. I feel like sometimes when I show different work to different people, I like edit a little differently because I know there's things that one client won't react to. Are you doing any of that or any kind of like, I don't know, polish, not literally, but you know what I mean? Like showing it a little differently or something like that? Um, Not anymore. I'm trying to like think about like, I'm trying to like figure out how to like talk about this because it's like a thing that like I've like thought about and had like internal dialogue about where I'm landing with like this whole thing is like finding a way to like fully realize the work in like whatever form that I want it to be. For instance, with like the basketball project that I did, the farms, what I ended up doing was creating like booklet. And then we ended up having a gallery show in the neighborhood. And so what was left over with like the booklets, because the booklets went to like the community. Like that was essentially like a, you know, diary of the season for that year and like players and like fans and like regulars, you know, who kind of touched the league, you know, they got copies. I basically just like took that booklet and then just sent it to like places that I thought would think it would be interesting. And I think that's kind of like how, you know, some brands maybe like stumbled upon it. Because I remember being like, like there's a creative agency that had reached out for like a job with like an apparel brand. And that was like some of the work that they had like referenced was like that work. And I was sort of like, well, how did they find that work? Cause like, I didn't send it to them. So and another like kind of thing is like, you never know who's looking and you never know like who's going to stumble upon the work. So it's always best to put the work out the way that you like envision it and not worrying about like, okay, if I'm sending it to a magazine, it should look like this. And if I'm sending it to an agency, it should be this. And if I'm sending it to a brand, it needs to be, you know, this thing. So like, I think it's like clear, concise vision, like across the board is like where I'm trying to land, um, you know, with this. 
Yeah. When it comes to vision, we don't normally talk a lot about tech on this podcast. We have a Patreon feed for that for people who are into those things. So you seem to shoot on, I mean, I'm just guessing here, but it seems like you shoot on film. I'd guess a large medium format or a large format camera. Is that correct? On some projects at least? So I'm actually like full digital. The last time I shot film fooled was... me, Jerry. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, damn. I'm always good at that. The, the last time I shot film was for that basketball project. Okay. And yeah, there are like maybe some things that like I like one offs that like are film, but like for the most part, like I'm just fully digital now. Like I, I, I wish I could like use film, but like you know, there's like three other steps that you have to do in order to like, you know, make sure that like, you know, before you can actually like look at the images. It's brutal. It's hard. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to call you out this Bolivia soccer photo, the landscape with the city that is not film. Yeah. It's a, I know we're not supposed to talk tech, but yeah, that is a Nikon D810. Damn. Okay. You got me. All right. I was positive. That was a film picture. All right, yeah. You, you I, fooled like, me. That's, that's awesome. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, so again, not to get techie is that like another thing that kept coming up, you know, when I was like first starting to work with magazines is that they would be like, Oh, this image is like great. Like it looks like you shot it on film. And I would say like, I did shoot it on film. And they're like, Oh, you should try to make your digital photos look like film. At first I'd like, didn't make sense to me. And then like, then I started like realizing that like magazine um, timelines were like, you know, as quick or even quicker than newspaper you know, deadlines. So it was like, okay, like using film is not like realistic, yeah. you, know, you know, for these, for these places. So trying to like figure out like, okay, like how do I massage this raw file into looking, you know, like a, like a, you know, negative that was like, that was like photographed on like portrait totally i well the question i was going to ask was how do you get them to pay for it because like i i just feel like they'd like laugh at me in the face and be like no we don't have time for that and we can't pay for it so i was like <laughs> so it's you answered that question is that i was right that they they won't pay for it and they want it faster <laughs> but no i think it's i think it's awesome i i love i love that everything has a style and it just I don't know. I love your work, man. Uh, I've been a fan for a long time. So I, I just love the way that there's like just a different approach to things. Um, I'm scrolling through your page right now while we're talking and it reminded me of the the Tommy John story with the pitchers. And for those not familiar, Tommy John is a surgery that a lot of pitchers have on their pitching elbow due to an injury. And I just I remember seeing this work when it came out. And I just think about how like so many people when they approach something just think so literally like, oh, I'm going to show them pitching. I'm going to show them working out or stretching this. And you were like, nah, let's just have a bunch of arms and show the scars. How, how do you go and like kind of pitch these different approaches? I feel like especially for younger photographers, which you are not, but at times you were. How do you approach being like, nah, let's just shoot this real weird. <laughs> like, let's just back it up and make it look like a, like a, you know, a 1960s fine art photo or something. So I wish I could take um, all the credit for that one, but I, I got to work with like a really, a really good editor named Jeffrey Ferticella at the oh, New yeah. York times. He was, he was running. Yeah. Everybody's eating pizza with Jeff. Jeff likes pizza. <laughs> um, so he, this is like when Blink first started. And like, I was, I was in Kansas city visiting my parents and you know, he had saw that I was, you know, in Shawnee, Kansas. And he was like, how long are you staying there? <laughs> like, 
is there any chance that you would be able to like, you know, work on this assignment? And you know, he told me what it was. And like, at that time, like the Royals were like really good and there was like potential for them to be in the world series. And so I was just like, yes, absolutely. Like I would make this happen. And he like, kind of like broke down what the concept was. And there wasn't, I mean, there was like, the concept was there, but like the, direction for like actually doing it was like kind of up to me it was like you know we need a portrait uh you know of these pictures you know but we also need something that's like clean that like shows um you know where this where the scar is on their arm and so yeah i was like kind of like playing with like different like ways of posing and like it wasn't until like I, you know, looked at the edit and was like, oh, wow, like, there's like some like continuity and like, you know, it's almost like a a formal portrait of like the scar, like how I would photograph like, you know, somebody's like face. So I love it. Editors empower us so much to do amazing work. I mean, I think that's one of the things that never gets stated enough is how much, um, I don't know what empowerment we get from editors. I just like love what they do to help us. So we end every interview with like three questions, but I know that I have one more question that I have to ask because I have no experience with it and you do. And that is working with a rep. Um, It's something I would love to do. I've just never explored it yet personally. And I would like to know about how that came about and like, what are some of your experiences working with like a representative and basically just, yeah, basically your kind of elevator pitch or or little basically brief explanation of what that is, what that does for you. Um, And I think a lot of people in the photojournalism world probably have also no experience with it. So, so working with a rep is, I am a big fan of it um, because I don't have to, I can focus on the creative. Like I don't have to like, you know, shift between, okay, I'm looking at, you know, this mood board and I'm thinking about uh, lighting and I'm thinking about, you know, the crew that I'm going to assemble. But then I have to like think about like numbers, usage, and like all of, you know, these like finer details, like in the contract and the agreement. Like it's, I, I found for me, it's like looking at those types of contracts from larger brands is like very far beyond like, Um, what I'm used to and like some of the language is confusing. So, and often like responses need to be like fairly quick, but then like I, you also have to like be looking at, you know, the creative side. So my wonderful agents at Red Eye, like they're very good at like getting an agreement, looking at it, figuring out language that's like maybe uncomfortable and like figuring out a way to like um, make it so it's a little bit more favorable on my end. And then also they're good with figuring out what numbers need to look like for like the rate, the usage and expenses. So that part is really wonderful. And the way that that whole thing came about my relationship with Red Eye is that I was like starting to get a commercial job here and there. And like, I was, you know, kind of, you know, doing what everyone does is that like, you know, you go to, you go online and you try to find like the template for like, you know, the bid or like the usage and like, you know, I was kind of like curious, like, you know, could you just reach out to a rep and like have them do it kind of on a freelance basis? After like an initial meeting, that's kind of how it started. Like I was getting, you know, kind of like more and more commercial work and I was just, you know, passing it off to them and they were, you know, handling like the business side for it. And yeah, that's, yeah, it's kind of how we got to like me being, me joining the roster. That's awesome, man. I mean more power to you it's it's exciting to see 
this kind of work being used by big brands. I mean, I I love the work and I love seeing it used by these amazing brands. It's it's really really cool and I'm I just love seeing people get empowered through connections like that and I, I agree it's like such a pain to be able to navigating all those things. And there's also like this assumption that like the other side knows what they're doing and I in my experience working for some bigger brands Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're just someone who's also in a similar level to us. They're just following what the person before did them and they kind of just, you know, stamp it down and send it off. Uh, and then you got to figure out a way to reorganize it or like you did, find someone to help you reorganize it and figure out a way that makes it fair to everybody. Yeah. And one other um, thing that I'll share about like building a relationship with a rep is that like, you know, just because you get a rep, like that does not mean that like you have to stop like, you know, promoting yourself or and like all this work's going to come in that's like far from it like you almost kind of have to like work harder you know because you have like expectations of like okay you have to like bring in you know more work and you have to kind of promote yourself a little bit more aggressively and so that's where you know finding a rep is kind of like dating and you want to find people that like you know you want to talk to every day. Yeah. You know, at all at all hours of the day and you kind of enjoy it or you look forward to it because otherwise like you don't if you're in like a bad relationship and like you don't want to you know interact with like this person then it's kind of like well what's the point? Yeah. And you also want to make sure that like you know, the rep that that you get to know them like over time. I had worked with like Red Eye on like a freelance basis for maybe about a year, a year and a half before I think we talked about like formal representation. So it was, you know, it was a process. And like before Red Eye, like there were a couple other reps that like, you know, I had conversations with, but yeah, Red Eye just felt like home to me. That's all I've heard. That's all I've heard in like the film world and the commercial photo world is like all the things you just said sound exactly like what I've heard from the rest of the industry where it's like, you know, this isn't going to solve all your problems. This isn't going to get you work every day. Some people have also used the wording of it's kind of when you have too much work coming in is when you need a rep um, or it might be, you know what I mean? When it's getting a little overwhelming, figuring out the business side of stuff. Um, that's when they come yeah. in and help. We've been talking for quite a bit. And I don't want to keep you forever, but we have three questions that we kind of end the interviews on and then we can add on whatever else from there. And these three questions are super basic. Everybody who listens kind of knows what they are. Um, but the idea is that you, they're just kind of open-ended questions that you can kind of take wherever. Um, and just kind of getting everybody's answers. So if somebody listens to all these episodes, they kind of get each person's little take. So the first question is, um, what is a lesson that you learned or know now that you wish you learned like 10 or 15 years ago? Or something that you knew now that you wish you knew <laughs> 10 or 15 years ago? Oh, my gosh. Um... That is a good, I mean, there's like so many. Um, I would say, I would say like if I knew what I knew about like lighting and like how to use strobe and like artificial lighting, like much earlier, like that would have been like very beneficial. Yeah. Like, cause it's really only been within like, oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh no, I, I, I was gonna, I, I luckily got that early and I've been heard from a lot of people that are older than me that they're like, really wish they took a lighting class like when they were 18 rather than when they were like 30. Yeah. Like I, it's only really been within like the past, like got four or five years where like, I really kind of zoned in and like tried to figure out like how I can make lighting like work for me because I was like, you know, anti lighting. I was like, I'll just use a reflector or a bounce card or like, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do like, I'll do everything but set up lights. And, um, you know, it's like strange now it's like, 
where it's like, oh no, I didn't, I didn't use a light today. Like, is everything okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how so, things things change, and even project to project will change. And it's like I'm with, I I had the lighting stuff early on, but I was so like ah photojournalism, man. Like no lights. Like let's keep it natural and maybe use a light on a business portrait. But like I didn't I didn't use them a lot. And now I'm like. I've shot a few assignments where I've literally just had an assistant with like an Octobank and a Profoto light chasing me around, just lighting every single shot. And I'm like, oh, this oh, is yeah. the life, man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There's windows everywhere in this building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so the second question is, um, what is one piece of gear that you cannot go on an assignment without? Ooh, um, that is also a really good question. It's actually not a piece of gear, uh, but it's always in my bag and it's Altoids. Oh, nice. <laughs> explain. I mean, I know the answer, I, but explain. <laughs> I just, I, I don't ever want to have, I'm like, I drink a lot of coffee and like, I'm always concerned that like, I'm going to have like bad coffee breath. And so like, I always, like, I always have Altoids like in like my bag, like I feel like in my like, you know, my small bag and then my lighting bag and then like in like the car, I just have them all over the place. I, so me and, uh, uh, Zach Tarrant, who works for the Texans, we joke uh, on text recently about tricking our future self. So we'll pack our bags. Planning self will pack the bags so that idiot self will find the thing. So I love to hear that you have Altoids in all these places because <laughs> we were yeah. joking about card readers and <laughs> we all we both pack card readers and everything and hide them. So then crazy, where's my card reader self can go find it <laughs> like a treasure hunt. <laughs> oh, that is that's like the same with like um like double a batteries and like triple a batteries like i have them like yeah i just have them everywhere because like i don't ever want to be in a situation where you know my transmitter just like goes out and like you know i don't have batteries same same i literally just ran into that yesterday or two two days ago or something i had to go buy double a batteries for something and i was like doing it on the way there i was like this is why you have the extras hidden in the extra case like so yeah i need, I need to, it's time to go buy a 32 pack again and hide them all over because i must have uh, exhausted it this winter yep so our last question is a little more open-ended and that is um we have an audience of a good mix of photo editors um young photojournalists experienced photojournalists um some filmmakers listen i know and I want to ask, basically, what would you say to all those people? What's your takeaway, your soapbox moment, your life lesson learned, whatever it is that you think everyone in the the quote unquote industry or our listeners should all hear or take away from this podcast? Oh, gosh. Uh, um, preface again, this. Again. No one gets warning on these questions. I've never given it to anybody ahead of time. Somebody will eventually listen to the podcast first and then they'll have like pro answers. But everyone's always like, why'd you do this to me? <laughs> The the one thing that comes to mind and like has always been like kind of one of the you know, cornerstones of like my practice is that like if you're going to go photograph a community that's like outside of your own, you have to do the work. And when I say like do the work, that means being yourself beforehand, um, doing a lot of listening and doing all of that before the camera you know, comes out of the bag because all that knowledge and all those conversations are just going to lead to stronger photographs and also just stronger relationships with uh, the individuals that you're photographing. And you're not going to make images that like reinforce stereotypes or it's just, it's just better to be thoughtful and to be mindful and to find ways to educate yourself 
you know, before bringing the camera out of the bag. Yeah. A, a slight digression is that, you know, with the hip hop project, I spent three weeks, like just going and visiting with like a lot of these guys and just like listening and not, not to the music. I mean, the music was like always around, but it was more so like, what is, you know, what's going on in this part of Roanoke? What's going on in their lives? And then me doing my own research and asking questions and then listening and then keeping that conversation going so that, you know, when it made sense, you know, to bring a camera out or when I was invited you know, to have my camera out, like, uh, the photographs were just stronger and like meaningful. And it's something that like, I, I have like, it's just been with me, like for, you know, however long I've been doing this is like, educate yourself, listen, and then take the camera out. I love it. I was literally, my question was about to be, could you have a specific example? So you read my mind. I was like, yeah, that's awesome. I fully agree with that logic. I think knowing more um, helps you make better pictures, but also, like you said, helps avoid doing something stupid. Um, or like you said, reinforcing stereotypes is a great example of something stupid. Uh, with that, is there anything else we didn't talk about that you'd like to hit on before we we end this? I don't know. I feel like we covered like a lot of a lot of ground. We covered a, um, a whole lot of ground. I, I'm stoked. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like I'm used to like I don't know all the podcasts I listen to are like these types of conversations, and it's like two two and a half hours long and i'm always like bewildered about like how they can keep going but like <laughs> yeah it's like okay yeah like you want to throw some more stuff at me like yeah we can keep it going but yeah i mean if you want to talk about your toning and your asset management on the patreon feed i'd be totally stoked to um after we do your little outro here, we can uh, we can hop on. We can just keep recording and talk about that toning and stuff like that. We kind of like keep the technical stuff on there. Some people throw some money our way, kind of keep the hosting key fees and stuff uh, offset. If you want to take another 15 minutes. Yeah, sure. We can go behind the paywall. Sweet. Jared's going behind the paywall. Patreon people. Um, so before we hop over to Patreon, how can people find you? I mean, that's that's the important part of all this is how can people find you? Just go into go into Google and then just put my name or you can just go to Instagram, Instagram dot com forward slash Jared Sores. Awesome. And then like, yeah, you'll find me or just put my name into Google. Like it's usually the first hit or put photo next to it. Awesome. And is there anything um, specifically you want to point people to on your website that is like, hey, you know, if you're going to if you're going to go to the website, check out this. What's this one project maybe you don't want them to miss? Oh, gosh, that's another good like call out. I've never asked anybody this, but I'm like looking at your work and I'm like, there's so much heart in all of this. I bet there's one that you like really want them to not miss. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean like there is. My vote would be the skaters, skaters, a little pass. I mean, don't we didn't yeah, talk about yeah. it because I didn't think it fit the conversation as much just based on what you're talking about. But skaters, a little pass is an awesome story uh, with South American skateboarders that is just absolutely beautiful. And another one that I was like, how, how do you shoot skateboarding like this? Um, so anyways, my two cents. Yeah, I would say, yeah, go look at that one and then go to Cal Sunday's website and like go read the story and like check out their layout. Cause they, they did a really amazing job with it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Jared. We are going to hop over onto the Patreon feed for those that support the show. Um, thanks so much, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to reciprocity podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe and rate us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you found value in this podcast and want to learn even more, head over to patreon.com slash reciprocity podcast to support the show.